This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to the Ninja Turtle Power Hour. I'm Spencer Toon. I'm Keith McGuffey. And I'm Mike Templeton. I think that was the accent. I can't that's remember. A, that's a Vernon. Yeah. It, sounds, it definitely was a Vernon voice. So if that's what you're going for, you know. No, 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 no. Vernon, Vernon's more of an, and I'm Mike Templeton, not without the pause. Oh, you were you going for the, the Von Shrink? I was going for the Von Shrink. Okay. Yeah, and since you mentioned the pause, I'm like, oh, okay, I see where you're going. Yeah, anyway, there were so many one-off mad scientists in this. I didn't know which one you're going for. To be I... fair, this <laughs> was a was a mad psychiatrist. Ah, true, true. I mean, all four of these, none of them featured Shredder and Crank. Like, I, I uh, that this... was going to be something I was going to say next. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I know. Uh, it was so, all mad scientists. Well, what episodes are we doing, Spencer? We're doing episodes 13, 14, 15, and 16 of season six yeah, of so the that is series. Snakes Alive, Polly Wanna Pizza, Mr. Nice Guy, and Sleuth on the Loose. Hey, four episodes that don't feature Shredder or Krang. All in a row. All in a row. <laughs> to finish out this season. <laughs> well, and Just man, wild. Yeah. Does it go out with the uh, whimper? But <laughs> it goes out with a wet fart, and yeah. only one of these is a David Wise joint. You're right. Yeah, I remember though, like back then, like seasons didn't matter the way that they do now, especially yeah, for like, like a Saturday morning cartoon. Oh, like it was more sure. like yeah, a production thing. For like thing. for kids, like, yeah. like for for kids, like I don't remember when I first learned what like a TV season was. Like I know I used to read like um, Entertainment Weekly when I was younger. I always thought it was like a really interesting magazine. Um, and then, you know, learning about TV ratings and stuff like that. And that's where I kind of learned about seasons. But it's like when I watched Ninja Turtles, like it was all just kind of, it all just kind of blends together and you know which ones look better. Yeah. And I remember like, that's about it. if you watch like, I, I don't know, commercials for like Friends or something, they'd be like, it's the season finale. And it's like, well, the hell does that mean? You know? <laughs> well, yeah. Like I didn't watch, I didn't watch Friends growing up, but like, um, I think, I, I think it was like probably like Married with Children was where I started learning about it because that's the first like series finale I remember like distinctly watching. Right. How does that show end? Uh, Kelly is getting engaged to the son of the owner of the Weenie Tot uh, franchise, um, and. Um, Al's very, very much for it. And then he uh, he winds up going to like the nudie bar like he always does and then sees um, Kelly's fiance there. Ooh. And Al's kind of like, 
Al gets mad at him and he's like, why, he's like, why do you care? You're here and you're married. He's like, yeah, I'm married already. You're marrying my daughter. (laughs) Ah. Bit of a fun double standard there, but, um, yeah. So it doesn't, the wedding doesn't go through, but. That, not with so many details, but that same situation happened to me. (laughs) I went to a nudie bar and my friend was, she was like, Oh my God, that's my brother's fiance up on stage. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, apparently she had told the whole family that she was done doing that. And so I don't think they're, I don't think the wedding went through. You didn't, you didn't go to the wedding to find out? I did not, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I have the entire series of Married to Children on DVD, actually. Uh best $12 I ever spent. <laughs> All right, let's get into these episodes. Yeah, cuz there's four of them this week. Yeah, yeah. I would not spend $12 on these. <laughs> yeah, if they if they hadn't come <laughs> if they hadn't come in a bundle, I probably would never have watched. Them. Yeah, if you parcel it out, these didn't add up to $12. What yeah. uh it was like what? 48 cents an episode or something like that. If you something whole, like that. Yeah. If you bought the whole turtle van collection. Even then, that might be too much. All righty. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. <laughs> Perhaps I can best explain. The story of my young friends and I is really the story of a man named Hamato Yoshi. All right. Episode 13, Snakes Alive. Snakes Alive. I don't know. It's got an exclamation point in it. I feel Snakes like that's alive. Important. Snakes alive. I, yeah. You know, I'm just trying to figure out how exactly that should be pronounced because I feel like that exclamation is important and shouldn't be forgotten. Anyway, this episode was released December 5th of 1992. So, you know, the year after Secret of the Use had come out and we're in the middle of City at War and when in the comics right now. So that's kind of where we're at at the timeline still. This episode was written by David Wise. Leo is trying to learn a super secret move from Splinter called the Viper, but can't perform it because of his crippling fear of snakes. On the news, the turtles see a large number of snakes have been stolen from the reptile house. They go to investigate. On the way, they see scientific equipment that shouldn't be moving, moving on its own. They go inside the building to check it out and see that it was a snake making it move. Don deduces that it must be under some sort of mind control and puts a homing beacon on it so they can track it back to whoever is in control. During all of this, Leo is hiding. He is scared from his brothers. Meanwhile, April and Vernon are on the prowl looking for the snake thief. They happen upon Pinky McFingers stealing scuba equipment from a sporting goods store and decide to follow him. The turtles follow their snake to the old botanical gardens. After getting inside, they are attacked by snakes. Leo passes out and falls through the floor while his brothers are captured. Leo wakes up and tries to face his fear, but runs away right into April and Vernon in their van. While they fill each other in on what they know, we meet the mastermind of this operation, Rudolph Cobrado. His body is hidden under a robe. He instructs Pinky and his men to use scuba gear to place a device in the river that will heat up the river and make the climate more suitable for snakes. 
Then him and his snake friends will rule the city. Pinky sets out to do as instructed. April, Leo, and Vernon follow. Leo defeats and captures them, but not before the device was successfully placed. Leo now has to rescue his brothers, but can't get over his fear. April encourages him to speak with Master Splinter. Leo does so. Splinter tries to explain that the fear is all in his mind, but Leo still can't find the courage. He goes for a walk topside, where things are really heating up from the device. Some kids shame Leo for not saving them and being afraid. It's just the inspiration he needs. He charges into the botanical gardens and faces the snakes. Having overcome his fear, he now faces Cabrado. Cabrado pulls back the hood on his robe to unveil that he himself has become a snake mutant after experimenting with snake venom. Leo knocks him down and rescues his brothers. While Don handles the machines, Leo fights Cabrado again. In the fight, Cabrado was electrocuted and reverted to being a normal human again. They capture the snakes and stop the device. Leo is no longer afraid of snakes. The end. Alrighty, ready, ready. Time for Holly Won a Pizza, Season 6, Episode 14, written by Jack Mendelson, original air date, Halloween 1992. So Michelangelo is trying to get a pet, and he gets a monkey. But everyone hates it, so he takes it back to the pet shop. Uh, meanwhile, Muggsy McGuffin, a notorious crime lord, is being released from jail today. And April is going to go try to get an interview. Muggsy's accomplice, Boris, is waiting excitedly for his return with his parrot, Polly. But Polly winds up getting dirty, so Boris takes him to get cleaned at the pet shop. The very same pet shop where Michelangelo is trying to return a monkey. The shopkeeper accidentally gives Michelangelo Polly and gives Muggsy McGuffin a random parrot because they look exactly the same. Muggsy notices this when he realizes that the parrot that he has doesn't have the key to the safe containing the Galooby Ruby that Muggsy stole that landed him in jail in the first place. The shopkeeper tells Muggsy that the guy who has his parrot was a weird fellow with a green face. Meanwhile, Polly's been renamed Ditto by Michelangelo, and he's wreaking havoc in the sewer layer. Muggsy and Boris find a guy with a green face, but he's actually the mean green giant, a wrestler who beats him up. In the sewer layer, the guys find the key on the parrot, and Don runs it through his key spectrometer. The parrot eats a bunch of the turtle stuff and ruins one of Don's experiments, so he's got to go. Muggsy makes an appearance on the news, asking everyone to look out for Polly, and the turtles see it and put two, to, two and two together to realize that the key is for the safe for the Galooby Ruby. On his way back to the pet shop, Mike and Polly see a TV show or a TV display showing the news, and Polly recognizes Muggsy and leads Michelangelo to the Bearing Arms Hotel where the Galooby Ruby is hidden. Uh, Michelangelo uses grabbing, grappling hook to get up to the floor where the safe is, but the floor gives way. Mike is trapped in a bunch of rubble. April is sent to the hotel to cover the implosion of the hotel that's happening this afternoon. The turtles are able to show up after figuring out the whole key deal with Don's key spectrometer machine and getting guided there by Polly, who returned to the lair after Michelangelo got trapped in the rubble. The turtles find Mike under some rubble and they're able to help him with Polly, help him out with Polly's help. They run out just in time for the hotel to explode. Muggsy is arrested and the day is saved. Polly is relocated to a bird sanctuary where he's macking on some fly parrot lady. The end. 
Which brings us to episode 15, Mr. Nice Guy, original air date, December 19th, 1992, written by Steve Granat and Clyde. Oh, written by Steve Granat and Sidney Clark. The Turtles are preparing to celebrate Raphael's surprise birthday party, and Leonardo is busy icing a cake for him. Michelangelo has purchased him a pair of what he thinks are goldfish, but are actually fighting beta fish. Just then, a cranky Raphael storms in with the laundry and accidentally crushes the cake with the laundry basket. Meanwhile, April is ordered to cover increasing crime in New York and experiences it firsthand when the news van is carjacked. She pursues on her news cycle. While Raphael is trying to untangle the iron, he accidentally sets off Donatello's personality alternator, turning himself sickingly nice. The other turtles are surprised and a bit conflicted by the results, since Michelangelo and Donatello find him so sickening. But Leonardo enjoys having a more pleasant, not rude or cruel, Raphael around. The turtles intervene in a bank robbery taking place with the news van, but Raphael's excessive niceness leads to him helping the criminals in their getaway. After having a pizza, they pursue the bank robbers in a sightseeing bus and have a massive fight in the drive-in theater. The other three turtles successfully catch the robbers and reclaim the news van, but Raphael is busy distributing popcorn to the theater goers. On their way home, the turtles decide to send Raphael to Otto von Schrink, a psychiatrist with the state-of-the-art treatments and many robotic attendants. The doctor quickly discovers the source of Raphael's newly nice turn and orders Raphael to bring the personality alternator to him. Down in the lair, Donatello accidentally sets off the personality alternator, uh, which turns the fighting beta fish into best friends. Donatello tells the other turtles that he's figured it out, but not before Raphael walks out with the device. Von Shrink reveals to Raphael that he plans to use the personality alternator to steal whatever he desires because he knows Raphael is too nice to stop him. Police and guards are turned excessively nice and incapable of doing their jobs as Von Shrink runs amok. The turtles soon figure out that Dr. Von Shrink is the one stealing things using the personality alternator. They infiltrate Von Shrink's office and are whisked up to where he is hoarding jewels, furs, paintings, and other valuables that he's picked up. He traps them inside of a force field he calls the Phobia Chamber, which creates holographic representations of their greatest fears. Donatello manages to throw his bow staff through the force field, triggering the personality alternator on the normal setting. Raphael regains his former personality and destroys the phobia chamber and manages to destroy the enforcer robots that Von Shrink had sent out with the turtles. He then turns the personality alternator on the, onto the good doctor, making him excessively nice and thus easy to apprehend. At the lair, they throw a surprise birthday party for Raphael finally, and he is pleased by his return to his usual rude self. The end riveting all right season finale time sleuth on the loose this is season six episode 16 written by matt oots i think it's how it's pronounced and original air date is december 28th 1992 matt oots i actually i looked him up on imdb and sometimes he goes by vitz so like a v instead of oh. u so i don't know if it's just like poor handwriting German. or yeah i don't know 
Anywho, April's Aunt Agatha is back, and she has a television show like Clue or Knives Out called Sleuth on the Loose. But it's interrupted by April. Something's been stolen from a lab that could, could be combined with other parts to make a doomsday device. The turtles go there to guard the rest of the parts, but then realize another part is missing. They take the final part back to their lair for safekeeping, but while Mike is guarding it, a beam comes out of the TV and phases it out of the lair. Donatello, Donatello is able to ascertain that the room at the lab with the equipment had surveillance cameras, so someone must have used those to send a beam to steal the part while they were on guard, just like what happened with their TV. We then see the mad scientist responsible, Professor Vilmut von Volt, a weird man with two goons and a precious cat that he feeds caviar. He's planning to use the parts to build the doomsday machine and rule the world. Or destroy it. Uh, Donatello builds a machine to teleport the turtles through the TV to the culprits, but instead, it actually pulls Agatha from her TV show to them. She and Raphael head to Channel 6 to look up some info on April's computer and learn about Professor Von Volt. As they're leaving, they're accosted by Von Volt's goons. Raphael fights them off, and Agatha is able to grab some evidence off of one of the goons, some cat hair, and a glab of caviar. Agatha is able to use these clues to track down a caviar store and thus the bad guy's vehicle because they're there buying caviar for the cat. They follow it to Von Volt's lab, where Agatha and Raph are attacked by a giant robot. Raphael calls the other turtles to come help. They're able to defeat the robot, but then another, bigger robot with even more arms is unleashed on them. Agatha and Raph infiltrate the lab while the other turtles fight the robot. Agatha proceeds to just really just kick butt all over these uh, these bad guys. She actually she wins a lightsaber duel with one of the goons. It's pretty amazing. And then Von Volt activates the Doomsday device, but Agatha is able to disarm it with a nail file. The day is saved, and Agatha is hauled away to finish taping her show. The end. What a way to end the season. For real. Strong ending. Compared to the other three, anyway. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought objectively the best one of the three. I, I would agree. Or four, I guess, this time. But anyway, let's get into it with the second time around, huh? Hey, uh, nice junk. So something I've realized with this series is how... Wildly pers- inconsistent it is? <laughs> yes, I mean, how wildly inconsistent <laughs> it is. But also, every single time now, whenever like a character makes another appearance, we now like include it almost as like an Easter egg in the second time around. Like If I was watching literally any other series, I wouldn't be like, Nano appears again, or like Tiger Claw appears again. But, yeah. like, I've just realized well, it's such a, a rarity it, it, in this series. <laughs> well, it depends, because, like, Nano only shows up, like, what, three or four times? Yeah. And like, it's I pretty still, spread he, out. He shows up, like, at least once a season. But, but I still wouldn't include that if I was watching the 2003 series. Well, I, yeah. I would be I would be like, oh, Nano's back. Or, like, because Pinky McFingers uh, is who I'm assuming you're talking about. Yeah, but, like, like he's actually becoming a fairly reoccurring character now, Yeah, which he, is weird, but... <laughs> well, which is funny that you mentioned this, because this is actually his last appearance. <laughs> there, there you go. There so, you go. so <laughs> we would never say Pinky McFingers is back again. It's such a rarity that, like, a character reappears of this that we consider it noteworthy when it does happen. And it's like, you know? all of the mobsters that we've met in this show so far, like, Pinky McFingers is the one who comes back the most. Probably. It's probably because he just got a fun name. What, happened? what was the tickling guy? What was his name? 
Oh, I already forgot. Oh, uh, is it Don Tertelli? Well, he is Don Tertelli. Don Tertelli. Yeah. There we go. Whatever happened to him? I, he just disappeared too. Yeah. Like tickled the wrong f- foot, got kicked in the <laughs> face. The wrong it was over. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yeah, so this is the last appearance of Pinky McFingers and his goons. Um, this is one of the only times that Michelangelo has ever denied wanting a pizza. Yeah, he like stops Leo, doesn't he? Yeah. Not now, dude. Hmm. Uh, and Michelangelo. Then, He's supposed to eat pizza all the time. Yeah, exactly. That's your thing, man. That's his yeah. personality. You have one job, and it's to eat pizza and talk about pizza. Uh, and did anybody else like kind of find it like funny that like so the whole like the Viper maneuver, the strongest martial arts move that's ever ever been created, like. Splinter says, like, you have to, like, loosen up your spine like a snake. And like, he's got a freaking shell. And he's got a freaking shell. It's like, <laughs> it's like Leo's got why. a shell. Yeah. Like, no wonder you can't, no wonder you can't do it. <laughs> yeah. I thought that like, exactly. nothing to do thing. with you being afraid of snakes. You just literally physically cannot do it. Well, I also, I thought it was bad parenting that, he, like, Leo tries it once. He's like, ah, you, you can't do it. It's like, you just said it takes, like, takes, like, years to master. It's one of the most deadly moves known to man. You tried it once, missed, yeah. you're like, ah, you, And you've already met, yeah. Or sucker, you'll never learn. You'd have to overcome something, you know, you have to overcome, you know, a fear that you've got hidden within you. And it's like, I don't know, maybe it's because he has a shell. Yeah. <laughs> um, in this episode, Michelangelo tells Leo to switch to decaf, which will recognize as a line that he said to April in the 1990 movie. To switch to decaf april yeah my other the only other thing i had written down which spencer already ruined for everybody no shredder no crank yep oh, and all four of these yeah. all four of these no shredder no crank shouldn't have opened with that in the intro no no that. it's absolutely fine i i i thought definitely about become more it. common but it's still you know they're still so prevalent in this series that well it's i think mentioning. well it it's just it really just stood out because like all four of these episodes don't have them in it and it's like normally like we'll get like one or two in episodes in a row without Shredder and Crane, but like four. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, it also just leads into that whole thing where like this, this cartoon is supposed to be a toy commercial, but even then, it's kind of lousy at being a toy commercial. Like you know, we have like all these original, I guess, characters that are, I mean, super forgettable, but also never had action figures made of. <laughs> You know, yeah. we've got like multiple appearances. We've got more appearances of Pinky McFingers than we do Slash, you know, kind of thing. And- I mean, yeah, well, it's, well, it's like what we say, like the Channel 6 news crew is, they're really the secondary leads of this show. Yeah. Like Vernon and Irma are in the series more often than the majority of iconic bad guys. Mondo Gecko, et cetera, like all, yeah. the, all those characters. The punk frogs. I was surprised there was never like, just generic mob mobster uh toys made you know yeah well i mean because the because the show came out like around the time of the, the dick tracy movie and so and playmates did that toy line too so you technically could fit them into this uh, yeah into your turtles line i think they were a little bigger but i mean they had roughly the same aesthetic yeah, I think I think that a lot of it has to do with like headbutting that was going on between, you know, Ryan Brown and the guys or it was it Ryan Brown that was writing Turtles Adventures. Uh, Steve Murphy, Steve Murphy. Yeah, like Ryan Brown was uh, drawing was drawing. OK, 
Yeah, so he's the one like designing a lot of the the action figure characters. And so like a lot of the characters became action figures from the adventure series or, or were designed originally to be action figures and used in the adventure series. But then like because they'd written and created them, they butted heads with mm. with uh Fred Wolf Studios on on using those characters and things. Yeah. So Yeah, because I mean remember like Fred Wolf's whole thing is that like he acts like he created a lot of these characters and mm-hmm you know how he's he's really the third the third person in peter and kevin yeah like it should be peter kevin and fred yeah one turnabout's fair play too like adventure started by adapting this cartoon and then the people of this cartoon were like hey you can't just steal our scripts but yeah. then they wanted to steal all the characters from the comic <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Like, yeah yeah hmm. it is it is an interesting dynamic there anyway i I can kind of see why there's or at least there was maybe there still is i don't know a little bad blood between uh, mirage studios and and the fred wolf cartoon <laughs> uh also i'm kind of dumb i just realized that his name was cobra so yeah like yeah like a snake man like a mm-hmm. snake ready for Polly wants a pizza uh, yeah. <laughs> oh boy this episode yeah um raf calls it the wrong thing he calls it his green avenger costume but that was definitely his costume when he was the green defender in Raphael versus the volcano like i i had i knew it was that that costume but i didn't care enough to fact check it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one where he thinks he's dying so he yeah takes on the mantle of the green defender yeah also, but like, you... was it actually that costume? Because I, I don't remember it. Yeah, I mean, it, it looked like it had parrot bites out of it, but it was the oh. same, like the the hat with the feather and the cape. Yeah. Also, do you guys think that the green giant guy was a reference to Savage Dragon? So, or I think not? so. That kind of became like a thing, because um, so the mean green giant is on the um, box art for the Rex One figure that just came out. Mm-hmm. Crazy coincidence. A crazy coincidence that <laughs> we that we saw that and we're just like and it's in the episode that we just watched. Um, I don't know because it's not because it's like he's a wrestler. Yeah, and like yeah. Savage Dragon is a cop. Yeah, and and I like the name makes me think he's supposed to be a parody of the Jolly Green Giant. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so but also the Savage Dragon has kind of a weird publication history because. He appeared like twice before the comic came out in 82 and 86. He has appearances. Yeah. And but then the comic he didn't, didn't get his out, comic until like image started in like 93, 94. July 92 was the first issue. It looks like. Oh, see. Which so like six, not quite six months before this. I don't know that that's enough lead up time. But I mean, yeah, green guy with a mohawk. Nowadays, we'd say, oh, it's obviously savage dragon well i mean because the other thing too is yeah because because like i don't think they would have done a savage dragon like parody like in 1992 because at that point like who is savage dragon like he doesn't get notoriety until image takes off yeah well image kind of took off pretty close to the beginning didn't it or how long did it take for but but not but not an not, enough, not far enough ahead. Not if far it, enough it, in advance for like that's true. a cartoon studio to be like, oh, let's parody that. Yeah, that's true. Because I mean, look, yeah, because it would have came out July this year, so it'll need 
before this aired, it only would have been in, in existence for like six or so months. So and even and even right, then for like that. and even then like Savage Savage Dragon was was pretty popular, but like Spawn was the big one. Yeah, from Image Comics, and it's like I feel like they would have parodied Spawn before Savage Dragon. No, that's fair. I also just don't know if they really would have been following image comics the people that work on this cartoon so i yeah i definitely well, like, don't think we'll see yeah the people like that that, the people that work on the cartoon wouldn't like kevin and peter would have been like privy to all of that because eventually you know image does takes over for mirage but like yeah yeah like kevin and peter would have heard of like rumblings but i don't think they would have been like hey put them in the show that we don't really like all that much anymore I'm trying to figure out when their first crossover was it looks like it was 93 with turtles and savage dragon turtles and savage dragon yeah man didn't we even read that book we did <laughs> yeah I, man i my timeline's all all off like when my when uh when spencer was saying like we're still in um city of war right now i'm like geez louise I'm yeah back old. no that's why i decided to mention this because i also just find it interesting i don't know whenever you look at the what was coming out at the same time as like these yeah. episodes of this cartoon because mm-hmm. while yeah while these episodes are coming out that are pretty lackluster and while secret of the use had just come out the year before you have this <laughs> you know you, yeah. have, you have city at war coming out at the exact same time which is like another one of those kind of definitive arcs of ninja turtles as well as you know it's getting pretty like taking itself pretty seriously and everything else at that time. Yeah. yeah Cause I think, cause we talked, we definitely talked about that when we were reviewing uh city of war, like mm. we were talking about like the juxtaposition of what was coming out in the com or in the comics and then what was coming out in the show at the same time. And it's like, it's, it's just, it's so wild <laughs> that yeah. Yeah. Well, it's I those know. two things. I'm convinced that the image comics got like their rep for being edgy. Cause like, to me, there's not anything more edgy in the image comics than what was in city of war. And I think all that really happened is people that were growing up watching the cartoon were now like old enough to start getting into comics and image was big and things. And they, you know, seen secret of the ooze. And so then they started buying Ninja turtle comics. You know, they, they saw these ones in the store by published by image. And then they were like, Oh wow, this is super edgy not having really read what came before but i could be wrong <laughs> but sometimes i think that's the case i think you might be right what was the name of the guy the bad guy in that book that we just had to keep saying <laughs> a certain way oh death something death watch death watch and i think was it, it was death, death watch? watch i think it was i think it was death watch <laughs> death watch Death Watch. Let me see. I, I'm, I'm. Death <laughs> Watch. Yep, it was Death Watch. Death well, was, I'm sorry. It was Death Watch. Yeah. Boy. All right. Are we ready? But for... I was gonna say. But I was gonna say. You mean Death Watch wasn't it? Wasn't super edgy? <laughs> I mean a little, but like, was it any more edgy than like a foot elite going around and just slaughtering foot soldiers? Like, I mean, it's it's a true. different it's a different type of edgy. I'll be fair enough. Like it, it like, is definitely death, a very death watch is thing. death watch is a meaningless name meant to, you know, meant to for little, you know, teenage boys to think is the coolest thing ever. 
Fair enough. Like foot elites, you know, that at least kind of fit in the story. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's edgy, but like, like I said, it's a different type of edgy. It's Game of Thrones edgy, not Hot Topic edgy. There you go. All right. It's Frank Miller's, it's Frank Miller's Ronin edgy. There you go. <laughs> Bring it back. Or forwards. Or forward, because that's that kind of bonus content. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen to the bonus content if you want to get that reference. Yeah, keep keep listening. Yeah. All right, yeah, I think we're good to talk about the next episode. So, Mr. Nice Guy. Mr. Nice Guy. Um, did the personality altern- uh, alternator, that I don't remember them calling it that when they used it on Leo. Yeah, I don't think they did, but... I forget. Yeah. It was Leonardo lightens up. I remember that because it's yeah, it was one Leonardo where, lightens up. Well, where Splinter like challenges him to a skateboard competition at the end. They just, they just okay. So I'm looking oh, it up. They so just good. called it the personality modifier back then. What's it called now? The personality alternator. Ah, okay. Hmm. And also back then, um, or no. I th- I thought it was kind of weird. I, I think it was wireless in the first episode. We had our lightens. Okay, up. so that's yeah. So that's, that's like what I was gonna say. So like, like it, was, it was wireless already, and then it had a cord. Yeah. Strange. Uh, give give them some credit. This is Steve Granat and and Cindy Clark's only episode. Like they yeah. had one shot. They didn't, they couldn't do that much research, right? Which, I mean, I was also going to comment that this episode does feel very different itself. Like, it just does not feel like most episodes of this show does. It feels super different. To me, it kind of like, I don't know, there's just something about watching it the whole way through, the pacing, everything else that did not feel normal for this series. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that makes sense. It was written by a couple people that only wrote one episode. <laughs> right. Also, at the very beginning of this series, you know, crime is, you know, running rampant through New York City. But, you know, in this episode, they state that crime has been down. And so I think this means that the answer to crime and crime problems is Ninja Turtles. We we need Ninja Turtles in every city. Ninja Turtles bring crime down. Yep. Right. So whenever, wherever there's a spike in crime, let's just start exposing some turtles to radiation. Try and teach right. him some martial arts. Every red-blooded American should be armed to the teeth with a full complement of Ninja Turtles to keep the peace. Yeah, exactly. This is uh, the way. The the X robots uh, that uh, Professor or Doctor Von Shrink used um, didn't those look like Big Mac? I thought they were Big Mac too. Like when the first when X when X twelve, I think the first one that rolls out, I was like, oh, that looks like. Big Mac, a little yeah, slightly slightly different head. He didn't yeah. have the like creepy robot mouth as much, but yeah, very very similar. Did you all notice that the movie that they uh, they crash at the drive-in is Invasion of the Turtleoids? I did. I did not. Yeah, different kind of turtleoid apparently. Yeah, the more giant like monster instead yeah, more of a little guy in a robe. Was Kerma ever like explicitly called like a turtleoid? Yes, I want to say yes, because he says like we turtleoids do, we get our uh, we turtleoids get our energy from gold. Doesn't he say stuff like that? Probably. That's what I was just double checking. Yeah. 
That's it. That's all I had for that episode. Yeah, sleuth on the loose. This is another episode where this is this guy's only episode. Matt Uitz or Vitz, either way. This is his only only go on the show. Either way, uh, and Agatha must have or Miss Agatha must have left an impression on this guy because she's back. Yeah, yeah. This is her final appearance, but <laughs> but she is back. Um, probably a much better episode than her first one, I think. Yeah, case of the hot kimono. Yeah, not a great one. Uh, Raph specifically mentions Star Trek, so that's another weird real world reference that we get. Yeah. Um, Michelangelo is watching a movie. Is that Gorgonzola that's attacking the city, or is it a different giant lizard? Like, I didn't have time to look it up. Did anybody else catch it? I forgot about Gorgonzola. <laughs> was it? I didn't forget about Gorgonzola, but I don't remember if it was or not. Let me look up a picture of him real quick. Uh similar. It might might have been different though. I don't think he had the purple purple belly. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I so this this doesn't really go in any other particular section, but I was just really kind of curious, like. Donatello's machine that he builds to pull Aunt Aggie out of the TV. Like they, and then at the end of the episode, um, like he builds out, he builds that machine, pulls her out of the TV. And it's like the whole time I'm like, did it like clone her? Like, was she shooting it live? It seems like she was shooting it live. And then at the, yeah. Cause then at the end of the episode, like her limo pulls up and they're like, we got to get you back to the studio to finish taping the episode. It was recorded in front of a live studio it's like, audience yeah. and everyone else. Yeah. So it's like, everybody just sat but, there. But for she's like been days, gone like, for uh... like, <laughs> she's been gone for a while. Oh yeah. yeah. Cause like most of the show takes place at night. And then when that limo driver shows up, it's the middle of the day. Yeah. <laughs> like, and and well, the thing is, and and so she would have been like abducted in front of a live studio audience, and it's like <laughs> anybody could have. It just it opens so many questions. Oh yeah, nonsense. Um, I, I guess a little bit of continuity that like Agatha works. She seems to work best with Raphael. He seems to be the best detective of the bunch, which is kind of in line with the correspondence courses he was taking way back in uh, Raphael Turtle of a Thousand Faces. Well, so I kind of appreciate uh, that. Red is her favorite color. So. That's true. Yeah. That's all I got. Me too. I'm, I'm done there. I don't think I mentioned it last time, but Aunt Aggie is played by Joan Gerber, who uh, has done a couple voices on this show, but I was listening to it because it's been so a while since we've seen Aunt Aggie um on the show. Uh but when I heard her she I was just like that's Mrs. Beakley from the original DuckTales. I was a huge fan of back in the day. Have you ever listened to the podcast It's a Duck Blur? Uh I have not. It is it is like this show but with DuckTales. Uh but we just mentioned uh Joan Gerber last week. Uh, because she was the voice of Shrika. Oh, yeah. okay. Had her in the studio to record a few other voices. I, guess. I mean, just get them. Yeah, just get them all. 
just get them all in there. You're like you're um, a great uh, uh, loving aunt voice. Could you uh, scream like a banshee for us real quick? <laughs> My powering, <laughs> yeah. it's melting. Yeah, perfect. Well, we're gonna make that a meme. Uh, read the rest. Of these lines, <laughs> we're gonna make that a meme in thirty years. Yeah, Don't exactly. worry, you'll be dead by then. <laughs> what is a meme? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you what, know, what is a meme? What? Making, you know, when you say I'm going to make something viral, I don't think it ever goes viral unless you're already, you know, unless you already have the publicity. Also, I don't think we mentioned it last time. I mean, we might have because it was a long time ago. Um, but uh, Agatha Marbles is her full name. Uh, there was a popular British TV show about a woman who, uh, about a. <clears throat> about like these murder mystery novels name and the show was called murder she wrote miss marple oh never mind written by agatha christie so agatha marbles marple marple i get it nice all right you ready to talk about anchovies uh let's do it no anchovies you put anchovies on this thing and you're in big trouble okay i can't let you know Real okay. quick, I'm sorry. I'm my mouth is incredibly dry. Give me like two <laughs> seconds. I need some water. Yeah, you're good. No worries. Man, I keep trying to read uh the newest issue of Armageddon game today, and I just I was gonna go pick it up. Been too I, busy. Yeah, I was gonna go pick it up on my lunch, and I wound up not doing it. I'll probably go uh, tomorrow or this weekend. There's like, I don't know. We, I, I, I don't know if it would count as a spoiler, but it could. So I'm just not going to say anything. But there's like one thing that I'm like, that we were talking about last time that mm. I'm now looking at. And I'm just like, I, I want to talk about it. But I'm did you see that? Anything. Did you see that cover I posted of issue 139? I did. It's a pretty cool cover. I like it. But okay, exactly what I knew would happen happened. And everyone's like, there are six turtles now. Yeah. I'm like, jokes on you, there's seven. Yeah. Well, I was Lita's like, jokes on you, there's eight turtles, but there's only five turtles. Yeah. I mean, I I will say that I mean I don't know, it's a discussion probably for another time. But yeah. All right. How about the manjovies? All so, four of these episodes were bad. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I watched Snakes Alive while I was like falling asleep. I meant to go back and watch it again, but I was like, like, why? I know the plot. He's afraid of snakes. He overcomes it. Another one off villain. Like, who cares? <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was funny that like. It, it is this episode establishes that Leo's fear is snakes. Um, but when we get to. Uh, Mr. Nice Guy, snakes aren't his biggest fear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he got over it. samurai. It's over. Uh, that's right. That's never. You're right. I uh, guess there was some continuity. There was some continuity. There. Or they I literally mean, didn't <laughs> didn't know. I'm pretty sure it was totally forgetting us is yeah. the real answer. But anyway. yeah. Also, in this, April says that a hermitologist is someone that studies snakes and reptiles. But first off. Snakes are reptiles, so you would just say reptiles. But also, herpetologist is actually someone who studies reptiles 
and amphibians. Oh. Just to uh, be specific, as someone who at one point in their life, when they were like 10 years old, aspired to be a herpetologist, that is what a herpetologist actually is. <laughs> Good to know. Also, Cobrado is, man, like I go back and forth on the guy, but ultimately he's like they combined a mad scientist and the Rat King together. And so now he's just like a guy that controls snakes. See, imagine that like, that would have been a cool crossover episode cabrado is is the rat king but with snakes you know like they, they could have made him like a member of the pantheon if they wanted to <laughs> true he he kind of reminds me of like the lizard from spider-man yeah a little bit now that you yeah, mentioned it's it. not nearly as cool yeah he's not yeah. like i think it's his little his little ears on the side of his face make him look dopey Oh yeah, it's it is. It's those. It's the ears and and like I don't know the slightly more human looking face. Like if they could have and possibly the longer neck. But granted, they had to do that to try and make him look more snake like. But yeah, his his design as a mutant could be done a little bit better to make him look cooler and more menacing. But uh, this show doesn't really make anyone look cooler menacing. So there is that, in my opinion. But I think we we talked about it last week. How like. Um, Turtlepedia is not entirely like on the ball, but like it has some good information. Um, on Cabrado's um entry, it says that like it might like he might have inspired Karai's snake transformation in the 2012 series, and it's like absolutely not. Yeah, the only connection not. is that they are both snakes, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Certain aspects of Cobrado's character profile may have flowed into the development of the mutant form of Hamato Miwa and the Rat King personality in the 2012 series. It's like, absolutely not. Well, it's just like how people try and say that, like, Lotus inspired Karai, and it's like, I guess they're both girl ninjas that... <laughs> right. But So, uh, well, Jason, Jason from Turtle Recall and I were talking about that last night, and when he interviewed Kevin Neesman on their show, uh -huh. uh, he got them to confirm... They didn't know who Lotus was. I, I mean, I figured they didn't. <laughs> they just had no idea. That's amazing. Yeah, Jason. Jason was like, I asked him, and he was like, "Who?" <laughs> well, because I've been I've been watching cartoonist Kayfabe as well, like the interviews in there, and like someone will mention something from the '87 series, and Peter will just be like, "I I have no idea. I I never watched." Well, I mean, and that's and that's the thing is like, you know, yeah, those two created ninja turtles but and and so it's like you want to get their autograph but it's like it's kind of it kind of feels like a dick move to have peter laird sign something from the 87 series i yeah. mean the, the toy line is one thing though because like the toys were based on the designs that they had made you right know? but but like yeah. but but i'm talking about like dudes who take like neca figures up to them or like yes and it's like have them or like have or... them sign the 87 like dvd yeah, for, for me, it definitely would be like, yeah, come sign my my 87 series DVDs or, you know, like to me that, yes. So the action figures, though, like especially if it's of like the turtles, the turtles are the turtles, you know, no, no matter what design they're used. Like, I, I feel like it's fine that way. But I do feel like if you were to grab like your DVDs, you know, and like have like your DVD collection of the 87 series and are like, sign this for me. It's like, really? Like this is what you're going to have him sign. You you don't own like a single one of his comic books that he actually wrote that you'd like yeah. him to sign. 
I'm going to have him. I'm going to have him sign my Planet Racers books. There you go. Oh, yeah. like they had a lot of creative control and like we're signing off on things, but I think they just like signed off on everything on this show. We're like, yeah, kids cartoon, whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I think it got to a point where they just like couldn't be there to sign off on everything. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know for sure that there was a time where like they had pretty much almost everyone that worked at Mirage Studios just doing licensing you know like everyone was just so busy with licensing i imagine that's why the guest era existed and wasn't even just written by other people in mirage studios and was like completely outsourced was because everyone was so busy with licensing yeah uh there you know they had days of of licensing and stuff um but but yeah, it is. I always do find it interesting when you have people that kind of like bring that in. Like I could see bringing in your 1990 DVD like that. I mean, you're like, you know, whatever that like adapts the comic book, you know, and they, they're pretty happy with that movie, it seems, whenever they talk about it. But it, it does seem weird to me to like bring the 87 cartoon into them and be like, sign this for me, you know, or your VHS. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. You know, we, I guess you can have them sign whatever you want. They did create the the concept. Ooh, I gotta grab my last run because I'm meeting Kevin Eastman this weekend. Yeah, we were oh, talking nice. about that on our secret on our secret uh, break time while you were gone. Oh, sweet! All right, are we ready for the next episode? Anchovies, probably want a pizza. Yeah, we haven't even moved on to that yet. No, <laughs> oh, man. oh my god, man! Uh, what was the deal with the Mean Green Giant? Like they meet him in an alley, he beats him up, and he he he's never seen again. Like what what was that all about? I think it was just supposed to be a gag, but you know. <laughs> then why was the parrot eating everything? I mean, that, that that's the other thing though, with that parrot eating everything is that like how many times have we seen the turtles try to take care of something, bring it in their lair, it trashes their lair, and they have to, you know, get everything back to the way it was. Like we we've seen them do it with the Gribbix, we've seen them do it with the neutrino baby. Like, this is kind of another trope for the show is we bring something into the lair that we need to take care of either briefly or because I, this time because Michelangelo wants a pet. All sorts of, you know, chaos around the lair happens as it eats and destroys or whatever, everything. This was just the most boring one of all of them. Right, so, it's just a normal parrot. It's uh, some space age gremlin. <laughs> yeah, we got a we got a new crime boss introduced in this episode in Muggsy McGuffin. Yes, because we why was he arrested at the end? Well, it's because he had stolen the Galuby Ruby, like. But that's why he was arrested in the first place, isn't that double jeopardy? Maybe they got him on taxes. Uh, Yeah, that's. (laughs) Oh, there we go. Yeah, (laughs) they got him on a Rico somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Now they have the evidence that he stole the ruby, so they're able to arrest him again. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Yeah, the biggest thing I remember from watching this episode was like getting like halfway through it and being like, because all I have is this, this note is how long is this episode? <laughs> like, it was on. It does. Such a long episode. It was so long, you know, among the longest 20 minutes of my life. And for no reason, uh, like it's just all switching parrots back and forth. Yeah. It, also yeah. like a rent-a-pet service. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right out. We need See to talk if you about. like it. Bring it yeah. back. That was so stupid. I didn't even include. I just called it a pet store. But yeah, you're supposed to rent a pet to try it out. 
Yeah, that's not a mind notes because it's just 87 series shenanigans for me. Like, it's just normal at this point. <laughs> right. I'm numb to it. That seems like such a bad thing. Like, I get it. Like, uh, when you adopt a dog from, like, a shelter, you have a 30-day, like, trial period with them. Yeah, got to give it a test run. Got to give it a test yeah. run, I guess. I wonder if you can do the same thing if you adopt a child, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's why they recommend you foster. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't, uh, like... Oh, this one doesn't match my couch. <laughs> Don't like it. Send it back. This one just won't if, stop peeing everywhere. Yeah, Spencer, if you ever need like a reference for an adoption agency, I wouldn't recommend putting my name down because I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up this conversation. <laughs> I, point, I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> point, point them to this episode. And when I say no, 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 I'm and joking. Be like, I swear and, they won't believe me. And they'll be like, oh, he's a podcaster, didn't I? Yeah, right. yeah. I think they'll deny it first for that. Oh, be like, oh, he already has all the toys for kid. Like, no, no, no. The, the turtles toys you don't touch. Well, also, he doesn't have toys. Remember? Oh, that's right. It's all right. He had the toys. So, I, I believe in rescue. You know, not adoption. And so, yeah. <laughs> uh, when Michelangelo goes into the Bearing Arms Hotel with um, Polly to like to find the Galuby Ruby. He's wearing his disguise, but when the turtles get there, he's naked. Hmm. You think he just like shredded off of him? <laughs> he's just run, yeah, just just running around. <laughs> All right, yeah, is that only... it for that episode? I mean, it was just it was just such a boring episode. That that's really it more than anything, you know. I mean, all <laughs> all four of these were really boring episodes. Yeah, but I feel uh, like that no. one was the most possibly boring one. So, Mister Nice Guy, like. It just makes you nice. It doesn't make you stupid. Yeah. But it but it makes Raph so stupid. And yeah. all of the guards. And <laughs> all of else. like you can be nice without being stupid. I mean, I don't know. I have heard people like talk about like the difference between like being nice and being kind. So like I could see if the guards were like, oh well, you know. I don't really want to get in your way kind of thing, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'll step out. Like I don't want confrontation, you know, versus, but like, they're straight up just like, Oh, well, don't forget the watches here. Take everything. Well, then, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like that's not then, being nice to the person who owns the store. <laughs> and then like Raph, like straight up, like helping the bad guys escape. And it's like, did you forget that what you, that's the thing you do is you stop the bad guys. Yeah. Also, I am kind of bummed that they did not make a cool but rude joke in there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of hate it whenever they directly reference the stuff that they say in the theme oh, song. No, that's my that's one of my, oh, my favorite gags. I, I hate them. Especially especially this far into the show. Like they've earned that gag. Well, and I, we need to like we need to really nail in. Is it cool but rude or cool but crude? Uh, cool but rude. It's rude. It's rude. I don't know. No, no. Anyone that says cool but crude is is just wrong, and that's, that's just very, the way it is. That's a very crude thing of you to say. Well, what can I say? <laughs> I I don't sell myself on uh, civility, so. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, another mad scientist in yeah. this episode, and his yeah. voice is so annoying. Yeah, another different mad scientist. Uh, he's played by an actor named Hal Rayleigh. Hmm. 
who um, had done several voices um, uh, on the show. He was uh, Moriarty in Elementary, My Dear My Dear Turtle, which is part of the European side season that we, I don't know if we decided if we're going to cover or not. We are. It's next. That's part of season seven. So we'll be getting into next Wait, week. But it but it like takes place at season four. So yes, we're just covering out of order. Anyway, yeah, uh, he was uh, Sven Svensson in the European season, uh, and he was also a double for um, he was a double for Rob Paulson. So Hal Rayleigh is going to play Raph during the European season. Mm, all right, gear up for that. All right, uh, we good to move on to sixteen then. Yep, sleuth on the loose. Yet. Another evil scientist. Oh man, you took my note. That's what I have to. <laughs> so we had two, two crime bosses and two mad scientists. I mean, they they very easily could have used someone like Sofo again for this one. Like they they very like the last one. I can understand it because they needed a psychiatrist and they needed the turtles to not know them so they could trust them. But this one, they literally could have used any mad scientist they've already used before. They could have used Sofo. They could have used. I mean, I guess Sofo's shtick is destroying all of life on the surface of the planet and coming up from his basement and ruling the world. <laughs> ruling so, the world full of basement dwellers. <laughs> but, but his doomsday device could have done that, you know, in this one. Like it could have been one that just wiped out the, you know, everything on the surface of the planet. He can come up. Like they, they could have used Sofo again. That's all I'm saying. They could, they could have used one of so, several mad scientists they've already had yeah if they hadn't like immediately transformed their main evil scientist into a fly person they could have just been using him for all of this right yeah for for almost all of this yeah Yeah. i would say that just about every episode would have worked and have been better with sort of baxter stockman he has a he has that brother with a red hair barney he does and they they could have kept bringing him back but you know they decided to only use him once so wait Anyway, that's that, me. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That's about it for me. All right. So let's put some nice toppings on this pizza. Now. Oh, I love being a turtle. So before Cabrado pulled back his hood in Snakes Alive, I actually liked his design. I didn't think it was bad. Uh, I thought it was a kind of like, I like how the, the hood kind of resembled a, co- a cobra, uh, you know, kind of thing. It, it's It's pretty neat. I yeah, could have gone until, for until it. See, until you design. see the tiny little ears. Yeah. When when his face is obscured, it looks pretty cool. I'm down with it. And I wouldn't mind like a you know a snake themed villain like that. Like it was kind of nice that at least on the mad scientist thing they had a twist on it that he was also like a, a snake mutant man thing going on there. Yeah. I do kind of like when characters have phobias, kind of rounds them out, you know. Mm-hmm. As long as it's not like their entire personality, but you know, yeah. Yeah, and it's nice that like Leo has one. Because mm-hmm. like it would be so stereotypical to have um, like Donnie or Mikey, because we because we've seen that, but like Leo having a genuine fear. That's that's more interesting. Yeah. Then he learns to get over his fear by just choking out a bunch of snakes. 
that's that's how you do it. I mean, right? yeah, that's that's how I got over my fear of snakes. Mm, yeah. Good. You, you take your fear by the throat and you choke it out. It's <laughs> the way to do it. Well, it's easiest to do with a snake because it, it's mostly throat, honestly. Well, I can confirm that there are plenty. I mean, there's plenty of aggressive snakes out there, but there's also plenty of sweet, nice little snakes that uh, will not very likely are not very likely to strike you. You want to know a fun movie fact it will probably ruin all movies of snake scenes ever uh most movies will use ball pythons which are very like mild-mannered snakes very like sweet snakes and so if you like you you watch movies and you, you are familiar with ball pythons you will see that all these snakes are really just ball pythons <laughs> and so you know that they are in absolutely no danger <laughs> at all <laughs> All right, so we get to move on to number 14 then. Yeah, Polly wants a pizza. So when the building's about ready to implode, they set a timer and they're like, this building's going to implode in 15 minutes. And then from there, the turtle just like keeps stopping to check their watch. Like every couple lines are like, we got to get out of here. It's going to blow up in 13 minutes. We got to get out of here. It's going to blow up in. And they look at their wrist. 14 seconds. Like, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. I just, I don't have anything nice to say. I I don't That's either. All I had, yeah. I I don't either. I I I remember finishing watching the episode and like looking down at my phone, like at my notes, and being like, "I gotta think of something." I like <laughs> I like the name Galuby Ruby. It is fun to say. Yeah. It's Galooby just fun. Ruby. It's just fun to say. It's a very then, boring episode. I don't think it's. And then Muggsy Muggsy McGuffin is a great name for a character that is there for a plot device right <laughs> yeah all right then. all right mr nice guy so all the robots in this episode look cool i've already said i like robots these ones were cool looking They're i really did cool. like i did like the uh the line between Vern and april at the beginning uh where he tells her to cover the crime spree and she's like crime's down he's like it's sweeps week make something up yeah <laughs> that seems very very topical for the news cycle nowadays yeah um, so that's that's a good evergreen joke yeah it is one of those things where like it lets you know that things aren't as you know haven't maybe changed as much as we think they have <laughs> in some aspects yeah uh well it's like because sweeps week is like a joke that definitely would have gone over five-year-old mike's head so yeah, I mean, it still goes over mine. I don't know what that means, but... Sweeps is like... They don't... They still do them, but it's not as like important now because like cable TV and like streaming is such a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sweeps is like... It's like the final... Like the final part of a, of like a broadcast season or something mm-hmm. um, where they're trying to just like get like all the ratings again or something. Oh, okay. It's been a while since I've even thought about sweeps, but it's like, yeah, norm- normally they don't, it's not as big a thing anymore. Hmm. By the thing about this episode is that like, because it is written by a couple people that haven't written any other episodes, it is kind of refreshing as far as everything else goes. Cause it does feel really different for an episode of this show to me. I didn't think uh, it was as different as you mentioned, but it is, but it is just kind of weird. 
Yeah. Like, like, like for long stretches of it, like nothing really happens. Yeah. And, you know, it, weird, it might kind of be weird in a bad way, but at this point, anything that, like, makes me go, like, huh, that was different. You know, anything that does that in the yeah. series is a positive for me. Right, right. <laughs> it, I, it keeps me more entertained, I guess. I found that hilarious that two guys steal the Channel 6 news van to then go rob a bank. It's like, it's so ridiculous. It's the <laughs> yeah. most conspicuous vehicle. It's got a giant six painted on the side of it. But I think it's, <laughs> I think it's funny too that like, uh, they steal the news van, but like April hightails it after them. Yeah. yeah. On her, like, on, her on the news, on the news cycle. <laughs> I always forget she has that news motorcycle. It's the I like that she's been thing. using it more often. Yeah. It's, it's so weird. I love it. I've, I've, I'm a strong believer that motorcycles are essential to Ninja Turtles, and so I will always approve of anyone riding a motorcycle. And also, like, can we stop making the motorcycles be, like, cobbled together from, like, bits and ends? Like, I, I know that that's kind of an aesthetic that they've been building in Ninja Turtles since 2012, but I just want to see them on a really sweet, cool, nice, like, like racing motorcycle. To be fair, that's been an aesthetic since the beginning. I mean, with the toys, um, maybe, but I mean, the retro catapult is a trash can. Fair enough, <laughs> but that's a toy, you know. Like that—that that was for it. A toy. It appeared in the show. It did appear in the show, but it appeared to advertise for the toy anyway. I need to find it, but Mirage Studios did sponsor a motorcycle race team with art by Jim Lawson. I oh, remember seeing awesome. this at some point, and it and like Jim Lawson draws motorcycles like nobody's business like he it's like dinosaurs and motorcycles are the things he draws well yeah i don't know why he never did a dinosaurs on motorcycles book but well because there was already a dinosaurs and cadillacs oh true there we go yeah he didn't want to get sued perfect but yeah i i know i have seen i will have to look through some books tonight and send you some photos but i know i've seen like a turtle on a a moto guzzi because that's the kind of bike he likes right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I no, it's the internet. I can't find one now. Here we go. Do, do. But I don't know. I I just there's just some really cool looking moments in like the 2003 series and stuff when Raphael has a super sweet motorcycle he's riding around. Yeah, uh, and then I, Next Mutation when he kept kept saying "Raff and Roll." Yeah, <laughs> Raff and Roll, baby. Yeah, but you know, I, I like that's such a good catchphrase though. No, it is not. Raff and rule. It's such a good. Raff and roll. Yeah, that's such a good catchphrase. I love that. I was writing my old my own story. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna DM Tom Waltz right now. Like Tom, can you sneak this in? Right. I know Armageddon game is probably already written, but I need to just sneak this in somewhere. Right. But I think 32 is the number that's on. Oh, I need to read Planet Racers to read my final book, but Godman, the main character, uh, I'm pretty sure that's his number on his bike. It's 32. Oh, you look so at that, the... In, in yeah. these pictures, I guess, for the viewers that cannot see this, there's a picture of a turtle on a motorcycle, and there's a 32 on it, which is why I mentioned that. Uh, anywho, but yeah, now, now I see that motorcycle you're talking about. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. I don't ride motorcycles, but, you know, that kind of makes me want to ride one. Turtles always makes me want to ride a motorcycle. Uh, that's that is the other <laughs> the other thing that happens there and then i remember like oh yeah that, that's a bad idea i'm i'm not a very i shouldn't ride motorcycles that's all i'll leave it at that 
Yeah, if they made motorcycles with uh, training wheels, I'd be all over it. <laughs> yeah. Which arguably is what a car is, I guess. But, yeah, or, you know, just maybe just get, you know, ride an ATV down, <laughs> down right. the street. <laughs> anyway, uh, episode 16, the final episode. Um, <laughs> I, I, Don't I, say like, it like that. The final episode. The, the final, final episode. episode. After this, it's over, guys. We're, uh, we're done. Nobody I decides. liked, I really liked Aunt Aggie. I do, too. Yeah, I liked the lightsaber fight. Yeah, when she does that handstand. Oh my gosh, it's so well animated so and so yeah, well it's, it's like it's weird how wild, like how well that was animated. It's like why this sequence? Yeah, it's juxtaposed against like Raphael just like randomly jumping out of the way of floor spikes, but he's just kind of like dancing around. Yeah, I mean, definitely... Agatha's where they're going all Yoda on this dude. <laughs> This definitely does make Agatha like easily probably the most competent character in this whole show that could probably like just be a superhero if she wanted to instead of just a detective. Oh yeah, <laughs> but the Technodrome would it like it would be in ashes if she was the star of the show, you know? Yeah, but I I do love that that old like trope of like the prim and proper old lady also just being like the coolest, most competent, amazing person in the room. It's fun, uh, I, you know, because it is just fun to see, like I said, just a prim and proper old lady that could easily kick anyone's butt uh, <laughs> and, you know, is going about and doing everything in this, like, very proper way. But at the same time, you know that uh, she's easily the most powerful person in the room. Uh, it's It's just a funny, fun, fun trope. Also, just like her being like this old lady detective reminds me of some of the shows that my mom would watch because she liked detective shows. And so I'd end up watching them with her, uh, you know, stuff like Murder, She Wrote or uh, Rosemary in Time. And so Did I you watch Diagnosis Murder. Yep. I, I remember yeah. watching that as a young kid. It would that be on it was called Pax. Back on Yeah. Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, as a doctor, I only I only remember Murder She Wrote. So, yeah, Diagnosis Murder was like early two thousands, maybe it was mid two thousands, but I'm pretty sure it was because I can because I can remember it, but I'm pretty sure it was more like early two thousands, maybe nineties. I, I don't know. It was still airing in the mid two thousands. <laughs> yeah, I think it was on a, a bit before that, but yeah, it's Dick Van Dyke just like solving murders in this hospital. Yeah, <laughs> like do not go to the hospital where diagnosis murder happened because like every week there was a different murder in the yeah. same hospital <laughs> 93 uh, to 2001 there you go all right yeah so that, that that was i was watching reruns with her then for sure but yeah there was that matlock anyway a lot of those old shows i remember being on channel 13 and channel 16 but yeah i i just i like aunt aggie Miss Agatha, I think she's I, a fun character. I will I, miss her. Uh, I, you know, I, I originally I wasn't on board with it, but after this episode, Neca, can I get a figure of Aunt Aggie? Yeah, like I, I used to make jokes about it, and I'm like, you know what? Give it to me. Yeah, I'll yeah, take it. Like I make, will take an Aunt Aggie figure. Um, make sure she comes with the laser sword. She has. She's got to come with the laser sword. Yeah. Also, like funny that like that's our first like kind of Star Wars reference. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but like, yeah, I need an Aunt Aggie, uh, preferably with Hokum hair. Thanks, Neca. 
All right, we ready for the news? Let's yeah. do it. So yeah, uh, four not good episodes. <laughs> what a way to end the season. But I'm excited for us to get into season seven now, finally. Me too. Yeah. It's our final season before the Red Sky hits. So I know. And even then, like like we said, half of this is kind of the European vacation. Um, so it'll be, it. these are technically episodes that take place earlier um specifically when the turtles win that european trip um back in uh plan six from outer space mm -hmm. so for if you guys are listening and paying attention uh these episodes are going to chronologically take place earlier so. yeah i guess they didn't they like aired in the rest of the world during season four but they didn't air in america until season seven yeah so that's kind of where they're, why they're lumped in there which is weird, but, you know, whatever, I guess. Yeah, it is what it is. Like I said, they weren't expecting anyone to actually come back and uh, try and watch this, I don't think, ever. <laughs> I'm curious to see, because I, I forget, I watched one episode just randomly after we made reference to it, and it was like a season, oh, it was uh, Turtles of the Earth's Core, because last, last time we talked about the dinosaurs in the middle of the planet, and, like, the animation on that looks so bad compared to where we're at now. And so I'm I'm wondering if like this vacation to Europe season is gonna be like that. Like, is it gonna be such a huge downgrade? Yeah, so are we gonna go back in time? Ooh, that's gonna be wild. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's go into the news. This is April O'Neil of Channel Six. My throat's a little hoarse, so I'm not gonna sing. Okay, that. yeah, no, all right, no worries. All right. <laughs> oh uh, man. In news, uh, if you're you're listening to this episode when it comes out, WonderCon is this weekend in Anaheim, California. Uh, Stan Sakai is going to be there. Uh, I am trying to go. I still have not gotten an approval yet, which is kind of annoying. Uh, but I'm really, I I hope that that I get it so that I can go in and go see Stan. I haven't seen him in years. That'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be way awesome. I don't know if there's any other Turtles news um, going on at the convention. Uh, I've been checking i haven't seen the full schedule just yet which i don't think it's actually been put up yet oh it is it's up <laughs> yeah i always get kind of bummed because there's not a whole lot of like comic book creators that really come to our convention uh very often or at least uh, as far as like the the bigger names i guess like there's some indie ones that you'll see with their stands but so at WonderCon, uh sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you Oh, you're good. Uh, so at WonderCon this year, there's going to be two panels um, that are talking about Ninja Turtles um, in some way. Uh, on Saturday, March 25th, from 3 to 4 p.m., there is the Turning a Comic Book into a Franchise panel, uh, which is going to have some people from Nickelodeon and Paramount kind of discussing some of their properties and how that uh, will translate um, from one medium to another. Uh, and then also on Saturday uh, from 3.30 to 4.30 in a different room, IDW is going to be having the IDW in-depth, mind-blowing concepts, characters, and comics. So there's no there's no uh, list on who's going to be there. So like it might be Tom, it might be Sophie. I mean, we, we don't know. Probably Tom because like, well, I didn't see it on Tom's like, you know, roadmap schedule of where he's going to be over the summer. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it doesn't list anybody 
from IDW just yet, but uh, hopefully I can get in and talk about and see these because I really want to see these panels. Yeah, those sound like awesome panels. I'd love to attend those. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, because they're both around the same time, you're not going to be able to hit both. <laughs> mm. uh, but I personally would hit the IDW one. Yeah, me too. Uh, Super 7 announced Wave 10 <laughs> of the TMNT Ultimates uh, figures. They are Rocker Leo, uh, based on that old action figure. Uh, Mirage Casey, uh, Ninja April, and The Rat King, a figure that a lot of people have been wanting in this line so far. Uh, there seems to be some kind of shift in design um, for Super 7. Uh, some of these figures aren't based... Well, three of these four figures aren't based on any uh existing action figure rat king especially looks very different from the original uh figure so it's kind of left the community wondering like is super seven changing uh the mission statement here are they not updating the old figures anymore nobody knows uh there's a lot of blame going around either uh pointed at playmates uh pointed at super seven nobody knows what the true story is um there are there are some rumors i've talked to some people and like i said nobody really knows um so, uh, kyle from super seven had confirmed that the rat king is actually based off of the shredder's revenge design for rat king which is pretty interesting uh the mirage casey is just a repaint of the casey jones figure that came out back in wave four just in a mirage color scheme and the ninja april is a fully new design uh the original ninja april was like she was wearing like a zebra black and white leopard bikini uh, or not bikini uh, like a like a one-piece swimsuit mm. uh pretty pretty ugly figure <laughs> back then um the new one she's wearing a karate gi and then like her web she has each one of the turtles weapons and then like a nunchuck uh made out of like two microphones which is pretty cool. And she has like a belt with an A on it. So I like the new design. Um, But what was really interesting uh, for this was Super 7 had posted a picture of the figures and it included one extra figure that we hadn't seen yet or didn't even know that they would possibly even do. Uh, And that was a Karai. Yeah, she's kind of got that like generic Mortal Kombat ninja outfit. The male one though, not not the ones the girls have. Yeah, like with the big like yeah. pads going over her shoulder. Like it's very much yeah. the like the Mirage Karai look though. Like that um like that very famous like City at War cover with her like the bow and arrow and she's got Yeah. Kind of it's painted to be very different though. It, it, it looks it's a, lot a different more like it, an 80s action figure. Yeah, like it's yeah. it's like black and red whereas that was like blue and purple and um but yeah but what was funny is that like immediately because i i'd written to like i replied back to super seven um i was like oh hey karai that's cool um and i was actually more interested in the rocker leo i wanted to know if like the original rocker leo figure like had this like texture on his on his pants (laughs) that was like it was just very pleasing (laughs) um it was like it was like kind of like denim. Well, it was like you know, like you, when you feel like an action figure and it's like smooth, um, but then like Leo's pants like had this like denim-y texture, hmm. uh, but it wasn't like flocked. 
um where like that just feels gross like this was like i don't know it's i just call it a denim texture um so i replied back if it had that but they had deleted the tweet like literally within a minute of me replying back to them that sucks and but then they reposted it uh without cry um now they haven't made any mention about that since um i think brian flynn is due to have some kind of like interview soon with either foosh probably foosh because he hasn't done one with uh pixel dan in a while um but like we kind of like we kind of said earlier like hopefully they will address the kind of change in direction um that the line seems to be taking because you know you, you pair you pair the three other figures in this line with some of the other stuff like the party wagon not looking entirely like the original one um little you know the whole gorilla gorilla um sergeant bananas situation it and staying all of this in a row just really <laughs> highlights how weird this franchise is. uh but yeah so it would be it'll be kind of interesting to see like but but somebody from super seven needs to come out and say something because it's getting kind of obvious Cool. Cool, cool. Well, in comic book news, we have issue 138 coming out on March 22nd. So that is the day after this episode airs. Be sure to be there so that you don't get anything spoiled for you unless the internet's kind to you. It's never kind to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> And if you're following us on uh, the socials, you will have noticed I have been uh, every issue that comes out on that Wednesday. So you know what to go look for uh, at your comic book store if you don't already have it set up as a poll. Um, or if you get your books digitally, it just lets you know, like, hey, that's already out. Uh, but if you buy your books digitally on, like, Comixology, you can sub subscribe to the series and just get every issue as them. Um, but if you want to do it the old-fashioned way, just give us a follow and check every Wednesday. I usually try to do it like pretty early before most comic book stores open. So you know what to go, uh, go pick up. Cool. cool. Well, Hey Spencer, what are we going to do next week? Next week we're continuing with the 87 series, but we're moving into season seven. We're going to Europe, baby. Going to Europe. No sleep till England. Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how that song goes. Uh, can't wait can't wait uh guys thank you again for checking out another episode of the ninja turtle power hour let us know somewhere on the internet where uh let us know somewhere on the internet what you thought of the show or if you're just having fun um because we really appreciate everything we always like i always appreciate the interactions um tara who's been uh just uh, she's been great um you know she talked about how she like loved uh our armageddon game recap um so we really appreciate that clint checked in with us haven't heard from clint in a while yeah um but yeah guys like we love that thank you so much for listening ninja turtle power hour ninja turtle ph on uh instagram twitter and facebook and yeah we love you all right guys that's our show this week thank you again so much for listening and until next time cowabunga dudes cowabunga Raph and roll
finally been reading uh, Frank Miller's Ronin. Oh. So, and now that I've read some other Frank Miller stuff, what's up with his, like, he has, like, this weird trope where, like, underground he will have, like, a bunch of just, like, caveman homeless people or something living just that are, like, de-evolved humans. It's just, <laughs> and that's just the only thing he knows. Because <laughs> yeah. it's in, it's in Daredevil. It's in his run on Daredevil. And it's in, and it's in Ronin. And I'm like, what's up with his... Like, what's up with this idea yeah. of, like, de-evolved cave people living under the city? You see the mirageness and the last Ronin DNA oh, yeah. there? Mean, oh, for sure. No, definitely. <clears throat> definitely, I like can when see we were, the... When we were talking about last Ronin, mm-hmm. um, like, and when I was talking about, like, how the pacing was kind of, like, weird, because they were copying the pacing in Ronin, the book, like, that book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also like it's so exactly Samurai Jack. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, like Samurai Jack is a ripoff of Ronin. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it, you know, it is a cool idea. I, mean, I like Samurai Jack, and like it's got cool concepts and things. There's just like some very like Frank, like a uh, Frank Miller trope, just kind of thing, like uh, like Nazis, just like 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 neo Nazis kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, always neo Nazis. Always going to be a gang of neo Nazis <laughs> for for some reason. Frank Millerisms. Uh, yeah, yeah, Frank Millerisms. Which is weird because like Frank Miller, I think he like swung like far right now. <laughs> so. Oh really? I th- I think so. I, I I know he's been like weirdly racist about a lot of things. I mean, he definitely covers like race and a whole lot of things. Like he he seems like he always sets up his gangs to be like different races you know like you'll have the neo-nazis that are white there's also like black people that look like they have their own group and they're pretty much their own gangs going against each other in in ronin in this distant future yeah but i mean like there was the whole like batman holy terror oh i have where like batman fought like like a bunch of muslims and um Hmm. even like 300 has like really weird like racist undertones Hmm. um but yeah, isn't there a sequel to uh, Ronin coming out right now? Yeah, uh, there it's is. on issue two or three, I think. Yeah, it's somewhere around there. I think it's issue two is coming because I because I oh yeah issue two. I know I have issue one and I I put it on my poll, but I I just hadn't read it yet. Yeah, I I was just in my comic book shop and because I was passing by because I was down that way, so I had never you know miss a chance to pat you know go but go in there and. They had the paperback. It was only like 20 bucks of Ronin. So I was like, you know what? I've been wanting to read this for a while now. I'm buying it. Yeah, I read it yeah. years ago and I lost that copy of the book. So I just I just rebought it again recently. Yeah. But no, I can like like the inspiration, for example, in uh the story where Michelangelo is just writing a story about himself in ancient Japan, very much is like feels like Ronin. Uh yeah. Carnage's design is a lot like the demon in this mm-hmm. i forget his name agate that's his name or a gat i don't know something like that but yeah and, and like the whole like last ronin themes of like him you know killing himself to kill uh yeah like even even agate like neo new york is very reminiscent to mm-hmm. 
um, the city in that book. So yeah, just without the gangs divided by <clears throat> ethnicity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and the underground cave people. Uh, if you look at like the humans, the costumes they use for the wrestling turtles and Archie, like those were originally supposed to be like they were going to actually give each turtle a different costume. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to keep track of it. That was like between issue one and two. They were going to do that. But Leo has the same like arm pads that the Ronin has in Ronin. Mm. Those like metal slats that just kind of float on his shoulders. Yeah. I think those look cool though. I like that. And the other too. thing that's weird is like the just how much like naked people there are in it. And it's just like, why why is everyone naked? Like what what's up with the <laughs> why not? Yeah. Society's well, you know, evolved past the need for clothing. Or the need for clothing, yeah, I guess so. It's like freaking reading The Dark Knight Returns, and there's like Joker's girlfriend that I forget her name. And she's like straight up just got like the boobs in her shirt cut out and just like swastikas over like swastika pasties or something going on. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I, yeah, I remember. Back to the <laughs> really weird yeah. design. And the same the thing for same thing for her butt. And I'm just like, what? what is this? Yeah. I just found the Dark Knight Strikes Back for a couple bucks and bought that. I, need to, oh, I haven't read that since like high school. God, but. Strikes Back is another really weird one. Yeah, I remember it kind of being all over the place. Like, I couldn't really tell you what happens in it, except that Flash was powering a city and they broke him loose. Like, I like that idea. Uh, I don't know. Like, Dark Knight Returns is, it's, I've never really liked that book all that much either. Anyway, like, I've read it several times, but I'm like, every time I read it, I'm like, why am I reading this? (laughs) I like it a lot for its pacing and the way it tells the story. Um, you can definitely tell that for its time, like I can see why it made such buzz and like why Frank yeah. Miller did with his books, because it's totally different from everything else in the eighties. And it definitely did shape the future of comics. Like Ronan has those wordless action panels and action scenes, yeah. uh, a lot like turtles does. Uh, sometimes I actually think that turtles, the, the Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird kind of did it in a way that's easier to follow than Frank Miller did a lot of times. If I'm going to be totally honest. That might be Probably. a controversial opinion. I, I, I can agree with you yeah, there. I agree with you there. Yeah. But uh, it's, you know, I can see where, where the ideas were coming from. It, it is cool. Like, it is definitely interesting to see more of where the Turtles pulled their roots from. Because I do think that the Ronin influence in Turtles is a lot heavier than the Daredevil influence. Yeah. Like, yes, they named, you know, Splinter after Stick and all that stuff. But overall like how the story is told reminds me a lot more of the last roman yeah or regular, um, i mean r- there's ronin yeah, re- yeah regular, regular ronin, ronin. regular ronin. original original recipe ronin the, a theory i have heard is that the batman in dark knight returns is adam west because like he starts with the same costume he's been retired for a while the um i think a dc officially made it um the dark knight returns batman is all-star batman oh okay so hmm. if you read that book um because frank miller wrote that book too didn't he yeah and so it? he um yeah. uh, but man. like but like years later yeah um, yeah that's like a 2000s I, I think they i think they like officially did it like i don't think it originally started out as like the prequel to dark knight returns i think it eventually <laughs> just kind of became that 
they're just like you know what there's also like underground people and neo-nazis in this so just like two and two you know yeah. them together <clears throat> or they were just like <laughs> and, and they were just like frank I have, i've never read it i have no idea okay. I'm, just, I'm just making that up oh it's not good <laughs> oh i know it's not good I, i've heard that it's like so bad it's good though for some it's, people it's like there's you some know? stuff that's like there's some stuff in it that's like really stupid funny uh-huh. um like there's the whole like um batman like intimidating to uh dick grayson Mm -hmm. with his whole like um like telling him he's gonna put him in a in the basement like make him eat rats and shit yeah um there's that but like i think like the the thing that like everybody kind of remembers as like one of the funniest things is that um he's like green lantern like comes to try and get him to like join the justice league or something yeah and just as like an intimidation tactic to mess with green lantern he has him meet him in a room that batman had painted yellow and he painted himself yellow yeah and then he has robin (laughs) pour him a glass of lemonade and pour him a glass of lemonade and robin's (laughs) painted all yellow and then how jordan straight just like punches batman and like ko's him (laughs) as well i don't think not not in that scene but but um but i think he does yeah Awesome. Yeah, at some point in that thing, he just gets like super pissed and just punches Batman and knocks at least knocks him to the ground. Yeah, Maybe I remember like someone saying like you have to realize like for that book to be good, you have to realize it's Frank Miller's Batman and not the Batman that you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so and then and so that's what like kind of threw everybody off because in contrast, um, Grant Morrison was doing All Star Superman at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> and All Star Superman is like top 10 comic of all time <laughs> yeah some yeah. people like consider all-star superman to be like you know the definitive superman yeah it's you know? one of the be- it's one of the best superman stories i've ever read yeah no i've read it it's it's good like it's a you know a, an inspiring uh i don't know i guess i guess i've i've discovered i'm a little bit more pulpy you know more so than than my wholesome i don't know i do love some camp but like i don't know all-star superman just kind of sits in like this happy wholesome area i don't know Mm -hmm. grant morrison doesn't necessarily hit for me quite like i've been trying to get into a lot of the stuff they write but yeah no he grant morrison like uh what i I was trying to read um uh his run his run on Mm x-men where he like changed everything um and it's so boring (laughs) i just got so bored in it yeah well in like Um, green lantern like the run on Green Lantern. It's I, I want to read. I'm probably going to read it again because I was reading it issue by issue and it came out. Love Liam Sharp's art in it. Gorgeous art. But yeah, like I just I don't know. Sometimes I think Grant Morrison gets too caught up in like the the theme. Yeah. Instead it's, of like the narrative. It's kind <laughs> the of the story. same. It's kind of the same thing that Jonathan Hickman does with uh-huh. uh, his X Men books yeah um, it's a little heady mm-hmm. and you're right like sometimes you want the oh did we lose mike i think we lost no mike. i'm still, still here oh. all right you're just cutting out sorry so i figured it out anytime i go like um uh, let me reset the internet I think that might be yeah, it sounds like an internet thing, not your mic or anything. Mm-hmm. Is All Star Superman the the movie at all? 
similar to the comic? I need to watch the movie. Okay. Because I remember I, watching that a couple times and or like just kind of having it on the background. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's just like all over the place. But I was also like, this is probably, you know, a really good story. It's been condensed down to an hour and a half. And yeah, it's it's adapting like I think it's like around 12 comics, you know, like that are kind of each individual stories that, you know, have the the plot that, you know, Superman is dying in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, so it is a very creative way to write it because, like, like I said, each issue is kind of an individual adventure. So some of, them, like, there's a couple of them that are kind of two parters, you know. But in the background, yes, Superman is. You know, he knows he's living out his last days. He's doing it the way he wants to, and and so it's you know a good you know inspiring wholesome Superman story where you get to see him do all these you know uh, amazing things. And, you know, trying to, I guess, you know, live out the last days of his life the best he can. And then uh, eventually, you know, I guess die, but then not actually die because, you know, of course he doesn't. Right. But he's super duper man. He's super man. But yeah, like I, I don't know. There's some times where I'm kind of like, you know, I actually kind of, you know, Superman's pretty cool. I kind of like him. And there's other times where I'm just like, yeah, you know, maybe people are right. Maybe he's kind of boring. <laughs> depends on the story depends on the writer yeah absolutely excuse me i like him when he's a little like weaker like that, that's one thing i liked about uh superman animated series is like when he got hit with a missile like it didn't just like explode around him and he actually like took it and was knocked back by it and stuff yeah it's I think sometimes he just gets he gets way too powerful too fast and it's like what's gonna even phase you anymore you know yeah, but I do think that's what made, like, his death so iconic, though, is because, like, during that time, he was definitely, and even during all the Super Age, it was like nothing touched Superman. Mm-hmm. And so then, like, suddenly when you have Doomsday come in and this thing is going toe-to-toe with, with Superman, you're like, holy crap, you know, like, this, this he's punching, they're trading punches, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, he, he's not able to stop him, you know, he actually died, you know, there's something as strong as he is. So like, if you want to build up to a doomsday confrontation, I do think that it is effective to have him be that powerful. But you do also have to then, you know, for any big event where he might solve all the problems. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I noticed that like reading through all the events in the 90s that I've been reading through that they always find some creative way to like write him out of the story off planet or gone somewhere so that he can't. <laughs> right. Yeah. So people can't be like, well, why doesn't Superman just <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, like during Underworld, he's like been kidnapped by aliens. Anyway. Hmm. I'm just now hitting like their implosion after the the comic nineties comic boom. You know, I'm mean? like ninety-six and suddenly all these like B list characters and kind of A listers that were getting their own titles, the title just ended. Oh fun. You know, so Hawkman just doesn't have a book anymore. Guy Gardner doesn't have a book anymore. Uh, who else lost their title just ended? Because there was a bunch I was reading. Oh, yeah, Extreme Justice. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> that was a weird book. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't think I like the art for it because it can be really hard sometimes to tell what's going on because, like, it's just so everything is so jagged and the lines are so thick and 
there's just such explosive colors and the panels can be an absolute mess, mm-hmm. uh, especially at the beginning. It was really bad at the beginning of the run. It mm-hmm. kind of starts becoming a little more readable and ergonomic as you go on. Oh, that's good. But but yeah, I don't know. I, I have like mixed feelings on it. I want to see people do more with Amazing Man. Like, I feel like because I've been also reading uh, All-Star Squadron from the 80s. And so he appears in that amazing man, Will Everett. He's like, like whatever he touches, like he can turn into that substance kind of thing. He's like uh, absorbing man. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. But I feel like they could do, I don't know. I I think, I think they could do cool stuff with him. The problem is, is man, I'm just going to be all over the place with my comic book talk. I'm sorry. (laughs) Amazing man. And uh, looked under Will Everett. like the last two lines are like develop the ability to mimic whatever properties he touched similar to marvel comics absorbing man like we just had that conversation (laughs) in the wikipedia as well (laughs) well because the the other thing is is like he he can uh he it's one point he absorbs like a whole bunch of like quantum energy or some sort of energy and so he he gets like super strength out of it and is like more powerful as well along with everyone else he's with except for blue beetle but you know blue beetle is just kind of blue beetle Uh, (laughs) but uh because that's also during the time when booster gold like has that metal suit keeping him alive because his old tech got destroyed from doomsday and he was in critical condition and so then like blue beetle built an entire like exosuit for him that he has to wear at all times otherwise he's gonna die comics are fun man yeah it it is all over the place like extreme justice like i don't know i I still don't even know how to feel about it because like firestorm gets leukemia during it and then somehow like well not because he's not firestorm at that point because the the doctor had gone and left and taken the firestorm entity with him and kind of become firestorm but then he comes back he's talking to ronnie that's his name you know ronnie has leukemia he's gonna die but then firestorm comes back and he gives ronnie like firestorm powers as well and i guess that also cures his leukemia you know he cures him of it uh burns it right out of him yeah i'm i haven't read like anything lately like i'm buying a bunch of comics but i haven't really read any so yeah no i mean life gets busy yeah i I have like a stack of Moon Knight, like six months worth of Moon Knight comics I need to get through. That <laughs> one's been really fun. Um, and then I've been picking up uh, Sergeant Rock versus the Army of the Undead. Uh huh. Which has been really fun too, but it just ended. So yeah, yeah. I've heard I've heard good things about it. I haven't read it, but it's written by Bruce Campbell, right? Yeah, yeah. That's I didn't realize that when I picked it up, and I was like, well, now I have to get all of them. 